We very often speak and talk about God and use the phrase, God is love. But when we look at that question in that statement, do we truly understand the radicality behind that statement? God is love. When we look at that statement again, do we understand the gravity, the severity of the words, God is love? Because what does that truly mean when we speak and talk about how God is love? What does that really entail when we speak that God is love? Because when we think about it ourselves, when we talk about God is love, some of us may not really understand or comprehend the fact that God is love. It's just a statement with three words in it. God is and love. For others, the statement, God is love, is just a sentimental feeling that we think or believe this higher being or deity loves us, and it's all about this bubbly emotional feeling that we have, right? When we speak about God is love, some of us may even wonder, how can God love us? Why does God love us? And what's the importance and significance of the words, God is love? Others see the word God is love and the idea that God is love is just the fact that there's a higher being or a deity that we need to appease to do what he wants so that he can leave us alone, so that he doesn't bother us, so that there's nothing that he will affect and do within our lives. Or the fact that God is love And he's just there for us when we need him, when we want him, just for the pure fact of utility. Or if we really look at it, God is love, so that if we do X, Y, and Z, if we live a good life, if we do what we're supposed to do, then he would love me. It's a checklist when it comes to speaking of God as love. But in today's readings, The two parables we hear in conjunction to all three, we didn't hear the last one today, which is the parable of the prodigal son. But in all three parables, especially these first two, really speak to the severity and gravity of the words of God is love. So what do we hear and what are we learning today about God's love from these parables? We can begin with the parable of the lost sheep. He uses the image of a sheep because as a shepherd, they go out and care for these sheep. What is interesting, and I didn't know about this either, is shepherds are people from the community given the responsibility to watch, to tend, and to care for not only their own sheep, but the sheep of the village, of the community, of everyone they live around. So in caring for them, they don't just care for their own sheep, but the belonging and those stewards of everyone else is financial contribution in those sheep. And so when we look at sheep, or any animal for that matter, they're mobile, they have their own senses that drive them, and their appetite. What is interesting and funny is with Kateri and Petra, You know who is driven by appetite. Because with Kateri, as soon as I open 
the can where all the food is, she's freaking out and running around. And so these sheep are driven by their senses, their appetite, and mostly their mobility. So sheep will, just like other animals are driven by their senses, will tend to wander off and do their own thing. But what is interesting in this image is how they're pastured and cared for. We think of it like here in Texas, it's big, vast, open grass area. And so the shepherds just let these sheep go off and wander around and they go looking for these sheep. But what is interesting and different in the time of Jesus and especially in the geographical area where Jesus is teaching, there's no vast pastures. There's no vast green area to just let sheep go out to pasture. But instead, it's small, like one acre lots of land of green grass. And yet all around them are mountains, hills, and things that will kill and decapitate a sheep if they fall down, if they get lost. And so when these sheep go wandering, they're really going out wandering into no man's land, possibly getting hurt and injured. It's not them wandering off in this green pasture into some distance. It's really wandering into hazardous places that are filled with dangerous, treacherous land that can injure, that can hurt, can kill the sheep. And so they go wandering into those areas because they're driven by appetite, senses, and their mobility. So when the shepherd goes and looks for him, they're scared and unsure of where the sheep can be in this vast area, not knowing what would happen, not knowing where they would be going. And even for the shepherd himself, to be able to wander in those areas to find that sheep means they have to risk their own life for that sheep. And the only way in which the owner of that sheep will forgive the shepherd for losing that sheep is for them to bring back the wool of the sheep to testify and certify that they just died and I didn't just lose a sheep. So what does that speak of God and his love for us? We as his chosen people, we as his sheep, have our own tendencies of wandering off, driven by things of this world. We as his sheep are entrusted by his shepherds, are cared for and have meaning, has a name and belong to the sheepfold of Jesus Christ. So we all are welcome, we all are important to him because it's not just someone's property, someone's value, but he knows each of us by name. He cares for each and every one of us as if we are his own. And he's willing to risk it all for us. He's willing to go out when we wander and leave and are driven by our senses, our appetite, our mobility, and turning away from God's love. And he's still seeking us. He still goes find us no matter how far we've left him, no matter how far and how dangerous we've gotten into this world, he still goes out to look for us. And so we go to the lost coin, the second layer of that love. 
the love of value. There's so many interesting things when we talk about loss. We don't know what it means and how much it means to us until something is gone. Just like when we lose a family member, when we lose a loved one, we don't know what it truly means to us until it's lost. And so we look at Jesus, God's love for us and his value behind it. Because what we hear in the gospel reading is this woman loses a dirachma, which literally is, a silver dirachma is literally in its worth almost equal to a penny that we carry. Most of us don't carry pennies anymore. But it's only worth to our currency today a penny. And we hear this woman frantically looking for this penny. So I want you to enter into the story a little bit to really be able to understand this issue and how absurd it sounds. It's a coin that is worth a penny. And her house is not like our house where it's a nice, even level floor where there's wood, marble, or whatever. But her floor literally is a dirt floor that is in a room that's about 18 feet across. Covered with driftwood, covered with reed, and covered with rushes. So just think about it kind of like our yard. An 18 feet wide piece of land that's filled with all these herbage and shrubbery to make the, the floor a little more comfortable to live on, to walk on. And she's frantically looking for it. It's literally that statement, finding a needle in a haystack. But what is, it, what is so important to her? Why is she risking all of this? Why is she losing sleep over just a penny? What is interesting is that penny is literally a day's work of work for her husband. Because she lost it, it may mean that her family may not be able to eat. Secondly, an interesting and another meaning I've never heard of before, but it really rings true. For a married woman, her headdress, what she wears around her head, is 10 silver coins with a silver chain. It's our equivalent to a, a wedding ring, a wedding band. And so those 10 coins belong to her. So in that day and age, women didn't have property, couldn't own property. And so those 10 silver coins were her only possessions that she had. And no one can take away those coins from her. Not even because of debt she owes, not even when she becomes a widow, no one can take it away from her. So what it illustrates for us today in our relationship to God is love, is the fact that our value to God and in that relationship with God is not a numerical value. We're not worth based on how effective we are in our relationship with him. We're not worth based off of our productivity. We're not worth based on how able we are in responding physically to God's love. Our worth is inherited, inherent to us because we hear it's not based of performance, 
but it's based off the fact that we are created in the image and likeness of God. God created us for love, to be loved, and out of love. And therefore, that inherent value is why we are lovable. That's why God loves us, and that's why God is seeking us every day and every moment of our life. But what we hear in our story today are two parables and two teachings illustrating how God loves his people, how God wants to be in right relationship with us. But that doesn't end there, my dear brothers and sisters. Because what Luke is trying to point and orient towards, especially with the parable of the prodigal son, is what Jesus is going to do to show, to illustrate, and to testify by his own life what true love is. What God is love truly means. Because it points towards and drives us towards what is going to happen on Calvary. The Eucharist becomes the sign and symbol of God is love. And Jesus himself walks and shows us by his own life what it means to truly be in relationship with God and how we live out the statement, God is love. Because in the Eucharist, it, the Eucharist becomes the love of a spousal friendship of Christ. And he seeks to dwell and remain with us and shower us with his love daily. Because Christ wishes to remain close to his people, to his disciples, not only as God, but as human. So therefore, on the night before his passion, Christ also wished to leave a testament, a living witness, something to remain and dwell with us. So he leaves us himself as the living presence, as the living witness to his love, to the love that God the Father shares with him, to the love that God wants to share with each and every one of us. So the question becomes, why does this matter? Why does God is love matter to us? These last couple of weeks, we've looked at the radicality of what it means to live a life of discipleship. To be a disciple of Jesus Christ means to learn from him, to be a learner of his teaching, but most importantly, to follow in his footsteps. And so today he emphasizes and re-emphasizes for us that to follow him, to be a disciple of our Lord Jesus Christ, means to love as God loves. This love is not based of value. This love is not based of what we can provide. This love is not just a, a sentimental feeling, but it's a self-sacrificial, unconditional love, not wanting anything back and in return for that love. So how are we living our life as disciples in loving God? How are we living the life of disciples? Are we radically loving those around us as God loves us? Or are we loving people based off that sentimental feeling we have for others? Do we just love others based off the value, productivity, or what we can get and receive from them? 
based off our numerical value we assign to those people? Or do we love them unconditionally because God created them in the image and likeness of God? Because God also created them to love, be love, and out of love. So my dear brothers and sisters, as we continue our life as disciples, we must and need to continue daily reflect on the words, God is love. Because that guides and orients everything we do. So my dear brothers and sisters, let us take this time to reflect on those words and ask ourselves, do we love God enough to risk it all, to go to him with our brokenness, our frailty, all the issues we have in our life? Are we seeing God's love in our life as value or as an inherent value because we are loved and created in the image and likeness of God. Amen.